So one of the best things about going to film festivals is getting to see a variety of documentaries. Uh, and the film we're actually going to be discussing today covers one of the most important news stories from the last couple years, and that's the Standing Rock Sioux Nation's fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. I'm Kaylee Monahan. And I'm Tuesday Marl, and this is Whiskey and Popcorn. As Kaylee said, this documentary details the story of the Standing Rock Sioux Nation and their continued opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. The documentary is special because they're actually interviewing those who live in the surrounding towns around actual protesting camps, as well as Sioux Nation members themselves. Here is a clip. Protesters and police remain locked in a tense standoff over the Dakota Access Pipeline. It's a proposed means of transporting crude oil across the states, but also a major concern for the people who live along its path. Standing Rock tribe decided to say no more, enough, then it just sort of took off and it, it had feet and it ran. This pipeline only uncovered what's been there and we don't have big enough bulldozers to cover it back up again. You can hear there a variety of voices. Some are from the Standing Rock Nation and others live in the community, uh, support the community. And you can just really hear the determination, the anger, and even to some degree, the grief of the people. This film points out that this clash between the uh, Sioux Nation here, the Standing Rock Sioux Nation, and the U.S. government is not exactly new. I mean, this is just another chapter in the story of America and the American government specifically, just essentially bulldozing right over Native American communities and, and the Native American communities fighting back. It was a very powerful documentary, and it looked at this painful wound in our history and putting it into context of now. And it, it's, it's an issue that's largely ignored by the wider American community. After I left the film, you know, my initial reaction was, uh, yep, I know. Um, and I don't know how horrible that sounds, but by that I mean I watched closely while CNN and other news outlets were following the protests really closely and in real time. And I would have wanted to see this documentary in, you know, the first few months when the hype was really peaked. They, this played like a story already told. The one shining aspect I really liked was that friendly reminder that this isn't the first time, and sadly this probably is not the last time. But while I realize it's not possible to execute a documentary, and by that I mean film it, edit it, advertise it, and release it in real time, it just felt like the beginning story. I, I know so much had progressed after the film was completed. And I'm not saying it was not well executed, it absolutely was, but it, it had a been there, done that feel. And I guess in our day and age of Twitter and Instagram, it's, it's hard to produce a timely documentary. 
Yeah, well, you know, it, it was interesting because the day that we saw it, I saw a news article from Reuters had popped up in my news feed, and it was actually a couple weeks old at this point, but it was talking about the spill that had happened on the Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, it wasn't in the river. Um, it hadn't contaminated the water, but you could just see the aerial shot of this big black patch in the land, and this is something that the documentary couldn't even touch on because as you just pointed out Tuesday, that it was at the beginning of all this. And it kind of wrapped up with the victory of Obama stalling or halting the Dakota Access Pipeline. And then they it felt like at the end they had to tack on. And then in January 2017, President Donald Trump revoked Obama's decree there. So now the pipeline has been built and is going through and it's already had a spill. I'm not sure how many spills it's had at this point, but you know, this one started in November and it was worse than initial estimates had shown. So And by all means they did foretell in the documentary, you know, this this is our water. And one spill would would contaminate our entire village or town, depending on what, how they prefaced it. And we're now seeing it in real time. Yes. And it's so incredibly sad. And I in no means want to disrespect the Sioux Nation or the fight that it was. The documentary was very well executed, but it's in such real time right now that... You know, I, I was waiting to see coverage of when all of the actors and actresses started showing up and all of this crazy stuff that happened post this documentary. My favorite aspect was very much the point of view. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of coverage from, like I said, actors and musicians who showed up there. But was there a lot of interviews going on with Sioux Nation Native Americans? Not always necessarily. And really being able to see, quote unquote, the town folk telling us how it was, because we also had representation from these small towns that kind of were surrounding or right in the middle of this protest and how that affected them as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I want to point out what I thought this film did really well and piggybacking off of what you said is the variety of voices it got. I was a little bit thrown off because at the beginning, several of the voices that we spent a lot of time with were not Native American, as far as I knew. I mean, these talked to a pastor of a Christian church, and he had a white name, and he looked white. I'm not sure if he actually is a part of the community, so I want to be a little bit careful there. But we spent a lot of time with him, and I'm like, wait a minute, where where are the Native voices? This is their story. And then they did bring them in later, but I— liked that we had the variety of voices and you did get to see them all but there was just a few execution things that I might have done differently and I'm not a filmmaker but having watched a lot of documentaries I would have started with a native voice first and and get that point across Um, and then wove in the other bits and also I noticed too and I Again, I don't know the circumstances, but all the the pieces to camera, all the interviews were in the same room at the same angle. And just stylistically, I mean, that that's just feels a little bit amateurish. Mix it up a little bit. Yeah. I feel like you could have done some of those. Even if you were in the same house, there must have been another room in the house um, in the backyard. I, I, I don't want to knock the filmmakers here because I, I don't know what kind of budget they were working on or what kind of film experience they had. But there's just a few things that could have just brought this visually to the next level. Now, 
Speaking of visuals, though, they got plenty of fantastic footage of the camp, of the protesters, of the water cannons and the rubber bullets and all of that. So that was done very well. So that kind of made up for the sort of static face-to-camera interviews, I thought. Yeah, great aerials, as well as while representing the Sioux Nation, they do a very good job of generationally representing them as well. So you did get some historical outfits and headdresses, but then they also have interviewed more of the young vigilantes who wear metal t-shirts and have a lip piercing. And But I really enjoyed that generation gap that they showed. Well, that is it for this episode. The documentary, again, is I Stand, The Guardians of the Water. Overall, a really well-done film, something I think a lo- people should see. It's worth seeing. Unfortunately, their marketing is a little bit on the downward side. They got a Facebook page, but no website or anything. So just keep your eyes out. Search for them on Facebook. Uh, you can see where they'll be screening the film. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.